Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath, I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man, and immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, well, good morning, everyone. It's uh, wonderful to see you at church this morning. And uh, I see uh, quite a few new faces among us uh, today. So if you are new here uh, this morning, uh, wonderful to be able to welcome you and add my welcome to uh, Mike's. And uh, we love having new people uh, join us each week. So uh, we hope that this is the first of many uh, times that you uh, continue to join us. Uh, it'll be great if you can have Matthew 26 open in front of you, uh, just so that you can uh, just check that the sorts of things that are being said out the front uh, align with what God says in His Word. Uh, that's your responsibility uh, to do that. And so uh, please have your uh, Bibles open in front of you. And uh, I'm going to lead us in prayer uh, that God will uh, help us to understand this part of His Word this morning. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering us this morning around your word. Uh, thank you, Father, for the joy of Christian fellowship. Uh, thank you, Father, for the great joy of being able to welcome uh, new friends among us today. Uh, and we pray, Father, that as we uh, come to this time where we can uh, sit and listen uh, to the things that you say to us in your word, uh, we ask that you would, uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit, open up our minds to understand the things you are saying and uh, strengthen uh, our faith in our Lord Jesus uh, so that we might live uh, lives that are pleasing to him. And uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, friends, uh, have you ever felt on trial for your faith? Have you ever felt on trial because of your faith? Uh, a few years ago, my wife and I invited a, a couple uh, over to our house for dinner. Uh, they were the friends of uh, one of our children's friends. Uh, and so we got together for dinner. Uh, the night started well. Uh, we had some nice food. We had some uh, nice conversation. We were getting to know one another. But then the conversation turned to religion. And I asked uh, the father... Uh, who he thought Jesus was. Suddenly, the mood changed. The smile on his face disappeared. He started to get visibly angry, and he started accusing people like me who followed Jesus of all sorts of evil things. And I just felt the temperature starting to rise. It wasn't the most pleasant of dinners in the end. Have you ever felt on trial? for your faith. 
uh, perhaps you've had a similar experience when you've spoken about Jesus uh, to other people on, on the university campus that you attended. Uh, perhaps you've had a similar experience when you've made your Christian views known in your workplace. Uh, perhaps you've had a similar experience when speaking with your non-Christian family members who do not know Jesus, and all you feel like is that you are on the back foot. Have you ever felt on trial for your faith in Jesus and have come under fire? Uh, well, uh, as Mike mentioned, uh, we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew for the past month or so, and uh, you might remember that we're sort of at the end of Matthew's Gospel, where Jesus is now resolutely uh, going to the cross. Uh, last week we saw Jesus on trial before the powerful Jewish authorities as he is condemned to death on the charge of blasphemy. But it's quite obvious in today's passage that Jesus is not the only one on trial. For you can see there that Peter, uh, who is one of Jesus' most prominent disciples, is also under trial from those who do not recognize the authority of Jesus. Uh, now, this is uh, a very well-known part of the Gospels. You've probably uh, uh, read this part of the Gospels before, or at least heard of it, where Peter denies Jesus three times. Uh, but there is a background to it, isn't there? Uh, if, you, if you remember, in chapter 26, verse 34, Jesus has already predicted that Peter will deny him three times before the rooster crows that morning. In chapter 26, verse 58, uh, all the other disciples desert Jesus after his arrest. Um, but you can see there that Peter is still following Jesus from a distance. And in today's passage, we see Peter being confronted by some accusers as he waits to see what will happen to Jesus in the end. But did you know, notice who the people are who accuse Peter. Uh, who are they? Well, in verse 69, uh, we're told that, uh, firstly, it's a solitary servant girl. In verse 71, it's another servant girl who accuses Peter in front of the other bystanders there. And in verse 73, uh, the bystanders themselves kind of join in to make further accusations against Peter. But obviously, the, the heat is rising in this moment, isn't it? As people put the pressure on Peter. However, the thing I want you to see, um, as uh, Mike alluded to, is that these people are actually nobodies. You know, in the ancient world, servant girls were people who had no rights and no power and no recognition. It's astonishing, isn't it? I mean, last week we saw Jesus on trial before the most powerful authorities in the Jewish world, and yet remaining faithful to God under pressure. And yet here is Peter, you know, under trial from some nobodies, and he's cowering in fear. This is the same Peter, if you remember, who drew the sword bravely, ready to take on the crowds that have come to arrest Jesus. And yet here he is, crumbling before mere servant girls. Uh, but what is it that 
that accused Peter of in this passage? Well, uh, again, in verse 69, the first servant girl says, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. In verse 71, the second girl says, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And in verse 73, the bystanders say, Certainly you too were one of them, for your accent betrays you. He probably had a northern uh, uh, Israeli accent that kind of put him in the same vicinity as Jesus. Now, notice that the accusers here speak of Jesus in derogatory terms. Uh, you know, Galilee was a largely Gentile region to the north of Israel. Nazareth was a small town in that region, which was a bit of a backwater. It was a bit of a nowhere's view of Israel. Uh, you might remember that in John's Gospel, uh, the Apostle Peter uh, meets Jesus, uh, sorry, not Peter, uh, the Apostle Philip um, meets Jesus and starts to follow him. And uh, he then uh, goes to his friend Nathaniel and says, uh, you know, I've met Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel asks, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's a bit like saying the Prime Minister will come out of Mount Druid. Um, does anyone live in Mount Druid here? Oh, do you live in Mount Druid? <laughs> uh, sorry if you live in Mount Druid, but even you have to admit that Mount Druid doesn't have the best of reputations. Uh, in, in this state. Uh, you certainly would not expect the next Prime Minister to come out of Mount Druid. Uh, that's what these accusers are saying here, you see. If Jesus really is the Messiah, who has all authority under heaven and earth, then surely he, would, he wouldn't come from Nazareth, of all places. And so they clearly think that Jesus is an imposter, guilty of blasphemy, and deserving of death, just like the Jewish authorities who had condemned Jesus. Now friends, there's a clear lesson here for us, isn't there? For what Matthew shows us is that if you follow Jesus, then you will be treated rightly. If you follow Jesus, you also will be treated rightly. In last week's passage, Jesus was on trial. In today's passage, Peter is on trial. Last week, we saw Jesus facing opposition from people who didn't recognize his authority. Here we see Peter facing opposition from people who clearly do not recognize Jesus' authority. Jesus has already spoken about this, hasn't he? If you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, verse 11. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 11. Uh, let me hear those rustling pages as you turn back. Matthew chapter 5, verse 11, and see what Jesus says to his disciples at the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, he says there, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Notice that Jesus says, when they persecute you, when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you, then rejoice. 
He doesn't say, if these things happen to you, then rejoice. He says, when these things happen to you, rejoice. In other words, disciples of Jesus will face opposition, will face persecution and suffering for identifying with Jesus. Uh, it's a consistent theme in the Scriptures. Uh, in 2 Timothy 3, 12, the Apostle Paul says, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not some, but all. Uh, in our part of the world, uh, the persecution is very likely to be verbal rather than physical. Make no mistake, if you want to follow Jesus, then opposition and persecution and accusation will come. Now, I'm not talking, of course, about being persecuted because uh, we act badly in front of other people. Uh, sometimes Christians can be persecuted because we act like works. Uh, that's true, isn't it? But what God does say in the Scriptures is that if you and I are serious about being identified with Jesus in our lives, then be prepared for opposition and persecution and being put on trial by others. Now, one of my pastors growing up used to say that if you've never faced opposition in your Christian life, then there are only two explanations according to the Bible. If you've never faced opposition for your faith in Christ, there are only two explanations. One, you have not been a Christian long enough. Or two, you are not a Christian. That's true, isn't it? If all Christians can expect persecution according to Jesus, they are the only two options available to us. See, the world hates Jesus because the world hates the thought of any, anyone having ultimate authority over them. But once you speak about Jesus as the Christ, as the King, as the Lord of all things, who has a rightful claim to everyone's life, then you will be hated. For we live in a world where people love to think of themselves as gods not allowing anyone else to have authority over their lives. You see, friends, if your aim in life is to be liked by everyone and affirmed by everyone and be popular in this world, then following Jesus is really not for you. Now, uh, we've seen those who accused Peter of being with Jesus and are part of uh, his group of followers. But how does Peter respond as the one who is accused? Well, it's obvious to see that Peter responds by denying uh, that he is with Jesus, and he does that three times. But I want you to notice that each time, Peter's denials get stronger and stronger and stronger. And so, in verse 17, he says, I do not know what you mean. And he's pretending to be ignorant, uh, isn't he? Uh, you know, when I was young and foolish, uh, 
whenever people approach me on the street, it's almost up to nice to say, uh, uh, I know I speak English. Uh, it, 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 it's, it's that kind of thing here, pretending to be ignorant. But in verse 17, uh, Peter's denials get a little bit stronger, doesn't it? For you can see there that he says with a nurse, I do not know the man. Uh, you, you might remember that Jesus, uh, way back in the Sermon on the Mount, taught his disciples not to take oaths, but simply to let their yeses be yes and their noes be no. For those who belong to the kingdom should be truthful and don't need an added layer of real truthfulness to their, to their speech. But here, Peter is ignoring Jesus' teaching and denying Jesus with a nose. But it gets stronger still, doesn't it? Because in verse 74, you can see that Peter invokes a curse upon himself and swears before the bystanders that he doesn't know this man for Jesus. Now, in the original language that the Greek, uh, sorry, in, in the original language that the New Testament was written in, uh, which is in Greek, uh, the words on himself uh, are not actually there uh, in the text. Uh, and so, uh, Peter can be invoking a curse upon himself, as uh, our translations have it, or he can be invoking a curse on those who are accusing him. Or, he could possibly even be cursing Jesus himself in front of others, which would be a shocking thing, don't you think? But friends, whatever it is, I want you to see just how serious Peter's denials of Jesus are. It's a spectacular failure on his part. Or, do you remember that it was Jesus himself who said back in chapter 10, verse 32, uh, these sobering words. Uh, in Matthew 10, 32, Jesus says, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who, who is in heaven. In other words, what Peter does here in denying Jesus and rejecting God's Messiah and not identifying with him is so serious that it deserves nothing more than God's condemnation on the day of judgment. Peter is not very far from hell in this passage. Now, I don't know whether you picked this up, but you can actually see the, the spiritual drift of Peter um, away from Jesus in his movements in this passage. Uh, imagine if you were there uh, on that very night, um, you know, Channel 9 news helicopter hovering above the house of uh, the high priest. Now, what would you have seen about Peter's movements? Uh, well, you can see there that in verse 69, Peter is where? Well, he's right in the middle of the courtyard just outside where Jesus has just been put on trial. But in verse 71, he starts heading out towards the entrance to the courtyard. And in verse 75, he ends up outside the courtyard altogether. In other words, 
Now, I wonder whether Matthew is just trying to visibly symbolize the spiritual drift of Peter in his physical actions as he starts to drift from his source of salvation. Now, you probably remember this harrowing image of uh, 21 Christian men in orange jumpsuits uh, kneeling on a beach in Libya before being beheaded by Muslim extremists in 2015. Uh, it's a sad and shocking sight, isn't it? Now, apparently, 20 of those men were Egyptian Christians who bravely died without denying their affiliation and identification with Jesus. But what many people don't realize is that the 21st victim was a Christian man, not from Egypt, but from Africa, the only African man there. And uh, when he was asked by his cap- captors whether he rejected Jesus, he's reported to have said these words. He said, I am a Christian, and I am one of them. I am a Christian, and I am one of them. In other words, I am with Jesus. Peter, too, will one day bravely die for his commitment to Jesus, as you probably know. But here, what we see is Peter's spectacular failure as he is put under personal restraint. And I want to suggest this morning, friends, that as we read this passage, we are meant to see that Peter's failure is some of us distance ourselves from Jesus by never speaking about him before others. Is that true? It's one thing to be openly identified with Jesus when we come to places like this where it's so easy to do, but it's another thing altogether to identify with Jesus in our places of study and our workplaces and amongst our non-Christian family. Do the people you study with or work with know that you are a follower of Jesus? Sometimes Christian people can go undercover and refuse to identify with the Lord and Savior. Or perhaps some of us distance ourselves from Jesus in more subtle ways. Uh, in my growth group this week, someone mentioned that it's easy for us to tell um, other people in the workplace that you know, we go to church and we have lunch with Christian friends. But it's not as easy to mention the name Jesus. For it is not church going that people find offensive. It's not having Christian friends that people find offensive. But it is Jesus that many people find offensive. Because he is the one who claims to be the one who has absolute authority and lordship and kingship over every single person in this world. Authority about how they should live, we should live. Authority over where they will spend 
eternity. And so it's easy for us to distance ourselves from Jesus and merely speak about the peripheral things because we are afraid. You see, we are just like Peter, are we? We too are good at saying, I don't know what you mean. Or, I do not know the man. We too so often find ourselves guilty of distancing ourselves from Jesus and deserving condemnation by the one who holds all authority in heaven and on earth. But here's the curious thing, friends. If you read on in Matthew's Gospel, uh, you will see that Peter is not actually mentioned again by Matthew. It's a curious thing because Peter is Jesus' most prominent disciple. He's the leader out of all the other disciples. In fact, he's mentioned in all the other Gospels explicitly, even after this famous denial and failure. Uh, in Mark's Gospel, uh, you know, when, when two women visit the tomb of Jesus after his death, uh, an angel appears to them and uh, he tells them to go to the other disciples and especially to Peter to tell them that Jesus is no longer here but that he has risen from the dead. In Luke's Gospel, we see Peter rushing to the tomb itself to see with his very own eyes what the angel has just told him, uh, told these ladies. And in John's Gospel, we have that wonderful passage where the resurrected Jesus appears to Peter and asks him three times whether he loves him. It's as as though Jesus is restoring Peter by reversing his three uh, denials and replacing it with three confessions of love. But curiously, Matthew doesn't mention Peter explicitly again. Why? Well, here's what I think. Um, I think Matthew doesn't mention Peter explicitly again because he wants us to see very clearly that Peter, along with the other disciples, actually have nothing to contribute to their salvation. You see, this is what sets Christianity apart from every other religion in this world today. Now, every other religion says to you that you need to be a better person. You need to do more of this or do more of that in order for you to contribute your way to heaven. Christianity says God knows what you and I are really like, how much we fail Him and the one He has sent. And so what you really need is not to do more good things in your life, but you need forgiveness from God and to be made a new person in Christ. And so Matthew doesn't want to make too much to make more of Jesus. Now, you know, the very first time I ever bought jewelry was just before I proposed to my wife, and uh, I needed an engagement ring, and so uh, I stumbled into uh, this place that sold rings. Uh, I'm 
nothing about wings, and so I asked the man there to tell me some wings. And I still remember the man taking out this diamond ring and uh, putting it on this black velvet tray. Uh, just putting it on there for me to see. Now, why do jewelers do that? Well, it's obvious, isn't it? it it's because the blackness of the tray just accentuates the brilliance of the diamond. Uh, I think that's what Jesus is doing here. He's helping us to see the blackness of our sin so that the brilliance of the gospel will shine through and be even more dazzling. But friends, uh, here's the thing. There is a difference as well between Peter and us in this passage. What's the difference? Well, you can see in our passage that Peter doesn't actually know at this stage how things will turn out with Jesus. Is that true? I mean, Peter starts to weep bitterly once the rooster crows and he remembers Jesus' prediction of his fate. But you see, Peter is still looking forward to what will happen to Jesus in the end. And he doesn't know how things will turn out. But it's very different for us, isn't it? For we don't look forward to what happened to Jesus, but we look backwards so that we can know what happened to Jesus at his cross and at his resurrection. We are the ones who can know with certainty that Jesus did die and that Jesus did rise again from the grave. We are the ones who can know with great certainty that Jesus really paid on that cross the penalty that your sin and my sin deserved and rose again to be the King and Savior of this world. The one with all authority to forgive those who turn from their sin and turn to him as their King and Savior. Now we know that this is what Peter did in the end after Jesus' death and resurrection. He did turn back to Jesus and he was forgiven and he was given a place in the kingdom of heaven and made useful in serving Jesus in his life. But will you and I do the same? Will you and I turn from our sin and the different ways in which we deny Jesus in our lives and turn to Jesus seeking forgiveness from him and recognizing his rightful authority to rule our lives. It doesn't matter who you are this morning. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. And I'm sure there are secrets in this room about things that we have done in opposition to Jesus in our lives. It doesn't matter how spectacularly you have failed Jesus in your life or whether you think that you are unforgivable. It doesn't matter. If you come to Jesus weeping over your sin and turning to him as the king and the, the ultimate authority in your life, then you will be forgiven, just like Peter. You may have to live with the consequences of your sin in your life, that's true. 
but know that you can be forgiven and that you can be given a place in the kingdom of heaven by the only one who will matter on that final day when you come before him. You have to give an account of your life to him. For Jesus did not come to call those who think they are righteous to account, but Jesus came into this world to call sinners, failures, those who have rejected the Son of God. He came to die for people like us rise again for us so that we might be forgiven. And so will you come to him this morning, weep him over your sin, ask him for forgiveness, and crown him king as the king of your life. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. And we come before you as sinners who have often denied Jesus and have distanced ourselves from Jesus before men when we have been under pressure. But we come before you as people who, like Peter, have often spectacularly failed uh, out of fear and especially when others have questioned our faith. And Father, we thank you so much for our Lord Jesus Christ thank you that in his grace and mercy, he died for us even while we were sinners, so that we might be forgiven and not denied a place in your kingdom. And we thank you so much for this undeserved grace and this mercy that we have no claim on. And we ask that you would help us to turn to him this morning, uh, to give him his rightful place as the king of our hearts and our lives, so that we might love him more and serve him.